Scripture today. That's what we always endeavor to do. Now, I, I, based on the last couple of sermons, I want to make a comment in the beginning here that in my, I am in no way uh, in saying the things that I've been saying and reading the Scriptures that I've been reading, trying in any form to diminish Christ. Uh, he is certainly a very significant key, and a key only surpassed by His Father as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our High Priest, our Mediator, our Elder Brother, and our soon-coming King, Ruler, High Priest, and Husband. So he holds many, many offices and has been bequeathed those by the Father as the heir of all things the Father has, and we as joint heirs with him. So in the Father asking, where is my honor in Malachi? Uh, that is something that he truly wishes we had. We also understand, of course, that Melchizedek, or Christ of the Old Testament, was the one who interacted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with ancient Israel, who appeared on the plains of Mamre with Abraham, and Abraham killed for him the fatted calf, the one with whom Jacob wrestled and said, I have wrestled with God, and it was Christ himself, the Melchizedek of the Old Testament, that was there. The Father was never evident in terms of sight or hearing. It clearly says no man has ever heard or seen the Father. So all the interaction between man and God that occurred, which was relatively sparse even in the Old Testament, was between Christ himself and mankind. Now, he, as Colossians tells us, was the one who created all things, and by him was nothing made. So the Father had given him that responsibility. We're here, in this series at least, to give honor to the Father. Now, along with him comes honor to Christ himself. Now, one of the problems in the past and in the Protestant and Catholic world today, essentially all of Christianity except the Church of God, is that they have almost ignored the Father and have uh, emphasized Christ, or as they say, Jesus only, or almost only. The Father is rarely mentioned. It's all about Jesus. So, we have to find the right balance from Scripture about what God says. And we have gone through much of the Old Testament. We have seen the things in the Gospels that Christ Himself said, and He consistently and constantly uh, encouraged us to go to the Father. And while He was on this earth, He acknowledged His Father as the one who had the power was the one to, that he worshipped, the one he prayed to, and told us to do the same. Now, we have gone past that section of Scripture, and we are now entering into the Gospels written by Paul, James, Peter, John, and others. 
And I would like to get into that today and see how those various gospel writers that were inspired and those gospels that were canonized as part of the true Bible, how those men approached the subject and in what order they placed things. I think we shall see that the direction we have been going is correct based on everything that the original disciples become apostles Paul wrote, because that's the message they got. We shall see that consistently. Now, that does not mean that Christ himself is not worthy of worship. It does not mean that he is not sitting at the right hand of his Father, and he is coming to redeem his bride and to bring salvation to the people of God. Those things are all true. But the emphasis cannot be primarily on him. The emphasis has to be, and this is scriptural, primarily on the Father, with Christ as the second in command, and always subservient to the Father, as he consistently, in every case, indicated. So let's start today in 1 Corinthians and see what these apostles had to say. 1 Corinthians 8 and down about verse 6. He's speaking of the various gods and of the idols that men worshipped. But then he says, But to us, verse 6, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Emmanuel, or Yeshua, or Eosis in the Greek, Christ. By whom are all things, and we by him. So it says there's only one ultimate God, and that is the Father. And with him is the Lord Christ. And through him we can approach the Father. That was a singular situation when Christ died and the veil was rent in twain. It was the first time that mankind had been able to approach the Father himself. Always before it had been an interaction with Christ. The Holy, I mean, even Aaron, the priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, never was in the presence of, in terms of visuals or audio, of the Father. That was the Holy of Holies. And as high priest, he was instructed on just how, just when he was to go there. But there was no contact. He just went in and did his priestly things and left. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians. And in verse 1. Paul... An apostle of Emmanuel, I'll use that term, since that's the one that we feel is the prophetic one and the time of the prophecy being here at the close of the age that you call him Yeshua or Eosis or Jesus in English, but later they will call him Emmanuel. So we have seen that God with us is a more intimate 
name than God is salvation. Both are important, but Emmanuel is more specific and more intimate for us. And it is certainly our prayer that he will be with us. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God. So, Paul was called as an apostle of Christ through the will of God the Father. Christ would not have called Paul except it had been due to the will of and the blessing of the Father. And Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. It is generally called the church of God. Twelve times, as we know from the old booklet in the New Testament, the church of God. I think there is a time or two where it is mentioned in terms of the church of Christ himself. But it is clear that he was the chief cornerstone of the church and the living head of the church under the Father. And that is what is reflected here in 2 Corinthians. Let's move on down. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Emmanuel. So he pairs them together here. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So, comfort, peace, these all originate with the Father and come through Emmanuel, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. Now remember what he said back in the book of John about how the Father loves you also. It's not just I that love you, but the Father loves you. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that if you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. So we're here to suffer. We're also here to receive blessing at the end of all this. So if we suffer, and we wonder why sometimes, it's all written out here for us that suffering is a part of this whole thing. And the Father and the Son are very aware of it. And they instituted it and called us out of a world that would hate us if we did not follow what they do and the way they think. And... That heat is going to be turned up shortly. Let's go to chapter 6, picking it up in verse 14. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we have been attached to, called by the Father. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, says the Eternal, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Eternal Almighty. So this is God himself, the Father, who instructs us to come out from this world, to not be friends with it or participants in it, but be separate and not even touch it. And he will receive us and be our Father. So it is ultimately to him that everything goes back or up to through Christ himself. But the Father is the ultimate. Now let's go to Galatians. And here I want chapter 1. Uh, I'll go to the beginning of several books because it is important to see how the access is and to whom, in this case, Paul looked. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Emmanuel and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So it is through Christ and through the Father. How is it that the whole Christian world misses all these references to the Father in giving Him honor and gives honor only to the Son? Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that the Son deserves no honor. He deserves incredibly great honor. But the greatest honor goes to His Father. And He is the one that not only we have not honored enough, but the world honors almost not at all. They miss this address from Paul. And all the brethren which are with me, even to the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Emmanuel who gave himself for our sins, though he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So he was acting in the authority of, the wishes of, the will of the Father in coming to this present evil world and helping us toward salvation of the Father through him. According to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he completes that thought. He is putting forth the order of honor. First to the Father, second to the Son. And those are the only ones. The angels never allowed anyone to worship them. Only the Father and the Son. Uh, this same book, Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. 
So a servant receives food and clothing and a warm bed, and so does a son, at least until the inheritance comes. Now we, in America today, have misused this and abused it a great deal, in that we want to do everything for the kiddies. Anything the kids want, the kids get. Now God looks upon it differently. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do nice things for our children. Don't get me wrong, and let's not be unbalanced about it, but let's understand that a wise man lays up an inheritance for his children. And tough love is better than giving everything to and for the children throughout their lives and spoiling them so that they do not learn to work for what they can achieve, but it is given them on a silver platter throughout their lives. Now, we may not have the silver or the gold platter. It's an expression whereby we do all we want. And we have that in our society today, whereby children who grew up prior, or I mean post-World War II, in an era when there was not much to be had, suffered what we today look upon as many wants and needs that were never fulfilled. So following that, we have a generation who said, I didn't have much as a kid, so I'm going to give my kids everything. Now, is that the way God the Father and Christ approach us? Now, they do give us of the things we need. They do sometimes answer our prayers. But they have guaranteed us, through many, many scriptures, a life of trials, of troubles, of tribulation. Christ said, I work and my Father works. He says our children should work. He says that if a man does not work, he should not eat. Now, that is the God of all love and mercy. He intended our lives, Christian lives in particular, to be tough, to be hard, to be narrow, rutty, rugged, and steep. That we might learn character, that we might learn obedience by the things we suffer, even as Christ himself suffered, he did not intend our lives as His children to be easy. Are we hearing this? He intended our children to learn to work, to learn responsibility, not to be given everything, lest they be spoiled and never learn to work. Now, my children resented having to work quite a bit when they were small, they went to school, and the other kids said, you have to do that? Yes, they did. And since the other kids were having an easy ride, they wanted one too, and they resented having to work because they wanted to play. I can remember that myself. But as adults, they came to me, my sons, a few years ago and said, Dad... We resented at the time, but we are so thankful now you taught us to work. If we didn't get anything else, we did learn that. And now we're thankful. 
Now, God constantly and consistently in the Protestant world throws this out, tells us that we are to have good works and to work, and he tells the end-time church in numerous prophetic statements to be of good courage, to be strong, to fear not, and to work. We are shortchanging our children if we approach them in a manner different from the way the Father approached His only begotten Son and gave Him a life of difficulty and suffering that He might learn and that He might be a faithful high priest and mediator for us today. If our children get an easy ride, we are doing them a disfavor. Now, I know our culture and our society and the war and various things have turned our eyes from what Scripture truly says. But once we go God's way, and I think we understand and know this, He promises us trial, tribulation, persecution, and difficulty that we might learn and grow and turn to Him for everything that we do need, because we need help to be Christians. A lot of it. And it is never going to be easy so long as we draw breath on this earth. Love your children, have all kinds of emotion for them, but be sure you train them and teach them character and responsibility so when they do leave your house, they can be upstanding, diligent, hardworking citizens of whatever world they find themselves in. That is the way God would have it. That's the way He treats us. You do not get everything you want, do you? By any means. By any measure. You just don't. And many of the things you really wish for and ask for a lot, you don't receive. Do you? So, let's look at how God rears His Christian children, and let's follow suit. Father loves us with very deep and great emotion. So does His Son. And they are pulling for us, and it is their good pleasure to give us salvation, and to inherit the earth and the world. I mean, the, the earth and the universe. But with it comes a great deal of responsibility. Now, where was I here? Galatians 4. Oh, I got started on that because it talks about how the child and the servant are essentially the same until the inheritance comes at the death of, humanly, the father. Now, the father and the son are never going to die, but it's when we are raised from the earth or raised from the dead that our inheritance comes. So, as a child or a servant, especially the child here, the son, is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. We are here to be tutored, to be taught, to be guided, to be led toward honor, glory, obedience to the Father and to His Son, our Savior. Even so we, 
when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God the Father sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he said, he sent Christ to teach us to cry out, Abba, Father. Even as he, on the stake, said, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And we're to look to the Father the same way he did. And that's where he has always pointed us. Wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the inheritance comes not from Christ, it comes from God the Father, but it comes through Christ. He is the one that brings it. You'll see in Revelation that when he comes, his reward is with him. The Father has authorized him to give out the rewards. He is the agent of the Father. All right, let's move on to Ephesians. Chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Emmanuel, by the will of God, you'll notice that this is repeated more than once. I'm not going to go to all the places, but most any book that Paul wrote, you write to, it begins with this type salutation. An apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are to Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Emmanuel. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Emmanuel. So he always uses this format. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Emmanuel, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in or through Christ. So the Father is the ultimate one from which blessings come or emanate, but they come through Christ. So they work in tandem to take care of our needs. According as he, the Father, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the love, the lack of blame, the obedience is to the Father having predestinated us under the children, uh, adoption of children by Emmanuel to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So what we have has come from the Father through Christ. Now, does that mean Christ is not to be honored and glorified, that he is to be diminished? No. A father and a mother humanly speaking, are joint heirs together. Is a man better than a woman? No, not by any means. A lot of men think so, but they're no better than a woman. Both are heirs and will be inheritors of God and Christ. And man and woman will be 
the bride of Christ. There is no way that a man is preeminent and above in value a woman. She has the same opportunity at salvation that any man has. And to diminish womanhood is wrong. Now, is the man the one in charge? Yes, God set it up that way. Should he act like little Lord Fauntleroy and lord it over a woman and act like he is better and superior to her? Not in any form or fashion. They are to work together as co-heirs of Christ. And our male chauvinist pride is in the way. Now, we've had in recent times the so-called liberation of women so that they do not look to the husband as head, and that has caused all manner of problems because the woman is not supposed to be the head of the house, just as Christ is not the head of the Father. But do they work together in perfect harmony and unity? And does he treat his wife as his own flesh, giving honor and respect and tenderness and kindness and love to and not ordering her around? That's the way it is to be. And she is to give uh, obedience and acceptance to the husband. It is not his job to make it hard for her to do that. He should do everything he can to make it easy for her to do that. Because, you know what, guys? None of us want to be told what to do. We'll even say it. It's an American thing. It's an a male thing. And it's also a female thing. No human being on the face of this earth likes to be told what to do. Unless they are a totally martyred, abused, misused, ineffective, dysfunctional human being. We don't like to be told. You don't. I've heard it said, well, if somebody says, why do we need a ministry? Well, because God says so all the way through the Bible, that's only why. And we won't go into all that today. But that's the way God set it up. That human beings were appointed to teach, to guide, to lead and to bring the church and point them to the Father and the Son. That's the way God set it up all the way through history, just the way it is. And we resent a man who sweats and stinks just like we do being put in that position. It's somewhere inside us we all feel that. And guess what, gentlemen? Ladies feel the same way. They see you make your errors. They see you sweat and stink. They see your faults. And yet they're told to love you and obey you. And it is very, very difficult for them. It is our job to make it as easy as at all possible. And to honor and respect their minds, their feelings, their emotions, and their needs. And then our marriages will be happier than they are when we're male chauvinist pigs. And on the other side, you have female chauvinist sows. Uh, a term I coined 
but it is the equivalent of. No human being likes to be told what to do, and they like to be in charge, and they like to have their own way, because we are selfish and narcissistic to the core by nature. But we have a better way, whereby we have the Father, we have His Son, and then we are heirs of that. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Emmanuel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Christ, who has blessed us with all blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. That's where I took off on this last diatribe. He chose us, predestinated us to be led to Christ. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. John 6, 44. All right, let's go to Ephesians 1. Uh, that's where I was. One seventeen. let's hit that one. That the God of our Lord Emmanuel, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So the greatest glory again goes to the Father, and it comes through Christ Himself. That's the way He has ordained and set it up. Could the Father have done everything? Yes, He could have. But He delegated the whole work, the whole creation, and our salvation to His Son. So He is the one behind the scenes. Ephesians 2, verse 17 And came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were near. For through him, this whole context about Christ, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. So here again he shows that our access to the Father comes through Christ. There was no access before Christ. He opened the door, or the veil. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners... Prior to Christ's coming and dying and being resurrected, all men were strangers and foreigners from the Father. They knew only the Melchizedek of the Old Testament. But now you're not a stranger and a foreigner anymore. Have you ever been in a foreign land, a foreign area, you know, down south? Excuse me, no. Most of us probably are from the South. In fact, as I look around, most of us are. I think probably God looked for weak and base and He went South. I think there were more ministers from Texas than anywhere else in the early part of worldwide. So that shows you where He got most of the ministry from the weak and the base among us, including me. So we're fellow citizens of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief corner stone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to an holy temple in the eternal in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. So Christ was put as the head of the church by the father to draw us all together 
as a united family for his purposes of ruling the world in peace and love and integrity in the future. Now, some of this may seem repetitive, and it is, but what I want to show is that you see this over and over and over and over again. This is the format that God has set the universe up on. Uh, let's go again to Ephesians 3 and begin in verse 10. To the intent now that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Well, he's making a statement here that we are to know the things of the spirit world through the wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purchased purpose so the God here is the Father in Christ Emmanuel our Lord so he says all these things we are to know and they're to come through Christ from the Father according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ <coughs> in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. So through the faith of Christ, we have boldness and confidence in the Father. We are not to shrink back, as he says in Hebrews, but to come boldly to the throne of grace. Through the faith of Christ. He had faith, and He was rewarded. And He is the firstborn of many brethren. So we are to have that confidence through Him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord, Emmanuel. Now, what did Emmanuel himself say? When we pray, pray our Father, which is in heaven. And Paul is saying the same thing here in a little bit different words, but the same thing. I bow my knees to the Father of Christ. So he made his prayers, and that's what he got out of all the things that Christ said. And, he, and remember, Paul was taught of Christ three and a half years in the desert, just as the original disciples were taught three and a half years in the ministry of Christ on the earth. So he came and gave Paul the benefit of the same amount of time, only it was only one individual who was getting all that attention. And what Paul got out of it was, I am to bow my knees to the Father of our Lord, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, named after the Father, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length, the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So it is through Christ who works with us that we come to know the fullness of God the Father. Verse 21. Well, let's go to verse 20. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Emmanuel throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. All this debate about whether there's only one God or do you consider Christ God, to me it's ridiculous to go into all that and spend so much time and energy to try to debate it because it is so clear throughout Scripture that there's one God the Father, that Christ also is in the God family. He is a spirit being and He's a son. Kind begets kind. Dogs produce dogs and cats produce cats and God produces gods. It's that simple. And Christ is the Son of and therefore is, made in, the, is in the image of God the Father. And we ourselves, men in particular, are in the exact image of God. And women are built a little differently for various reasons. But they still have the same mind and capacity and opportunity that man has. And it all comes from the Father through the Son. Now let's see. Did I cover all I wanted to there? Um... Chapter 4 now, verse 4, There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. So we are called to be in the body of Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. It is the Spirit of the Father that is in us through Christ who made that possible. Uh, I want to go on down a little bit on this one. But that every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He came to this earth and later ascended. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why do we need a ministry? Well, here are the reasons. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal and that is the purpose that the Father and the Son have. And they have given authority to men to lead us, to point us in that direction. Until we all get there. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. There is a tremendous responsibility given to the leaders of the church to be sure that you're given proper food spiritually, proper doctrine, so that you're not led astray by wolves in sheep's clothing. And every time I sense that there is someone trying to teach something contrary to this word, I jump on it, if you may have not noticed that. And I do my level best to make the truth of a matter and to go through all the scriptures to be sure we get it. Because what I think or what some wolf in sheep clothing might think means nothing. The word of God means everything. And you better not do it because I said so. You had better do it because I showed you what God said. And if I miss something and read it wrong and you find something different in the Scripture than what I found, I want to know about it. Because if it's right and I overlooked it or misunderstood it, we need to find the truth and we need to share it. So that everyone might benefit. Now, if you think you have truth, it is wrong and unrighteous and ungodly to talk to each other behind the scenes saying they're wrong about this, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. That creates division in a body of unity, it creates distrust, it creates negativity, and it is utterly ungodly. Now, is it wrong to discuss scriptures and say, boy, I found something over here that's interesting I'd never noticed before. What do you think of this? It's not wrong to study together some and consider the scriptures. But if you find something... You may think, well, the ministry wouldn't accept this. Let me tell you something. I think outside the box a lot, if you haven't noticed that. And we've done a lot of things and changed a lot of things that were not in the box of doctrine that we received. Because we found them in Scripture. Now, you may think I'm unapproachable. But look at the record. I have changed a lot of things, not that I found, but that someone else found and brought to me. And I checked it out and found that it was true, and we have done it. And almost invariably, the ones who brought it wind up leaving, if they were ever really part of us in the first place. Isn't that strange? that we would accept what they have to say, and then they leave. Now, in some cases, what they brought, I couldn't find in the Scriptures, and I found just the opposite in the Scriptures, did not agree with them, and they left anyway. Are we willing to accept the Word of God? I must be willing.
But if somebody says, well, we found this and he won't accept this, you know generally why you have that attitude? Because you know somewhere deep inside it's probably not true. And you don't want to be told what to do. You don't want to accept a ministry that Christ has set. And therefore, you'll not bring it. So if I'm unapproachable, it's more that you do not want to approach, for whatever reasons, than me being unapproachable. Because I have proved countless times that I am approachable. And I study some of the most bizarre things sometimes that you can imagine because somebody brought it up and I need to prove whether it's right or wrong. Now God has set that in the church through Christ to be done for the purposes given above. Now let's go to Philippians 2. And verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Emmanuel, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What, an, what a bold statement. Now, people, when they hear that we believe that we're created to become God, think that's... Blasphemy. But he told us to have the same mind that Christ had, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We are called to be equal with God in terms of what we will be as immortal God beings, part of the family, the offspring of God, like Kind begets life kind. So if we are begotten of God, then we are to become God. Now, will He always be the Father? Yes. Will Christ always be the firstborn Son? Yes. Will we always be beneath them in the hierarchy? Yes, there is hierarchy of eternity. Yes. But we will be equal family members in that sense. Brothers and sisters, Bride, wife of Christ, daughters-in-law of the Father. Isn't that the way it is in your family? Aren't your children and your sons-in-laws or daughters-in-law human? Well, on that last one, you may have varying opinions, but yes, they're human. Whether they're good humans or not, in your opinion, is another matter. But you aren't always right either. But made himself of no reputation, verse 7, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He did not rise up in pride and say, well, I'm a man. There is no room for pride. Pride comes before a fall. Pride is probably the biggest thing that gets all of us in trouble. In one form or another. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of the stake. Wherefore God, the Father, also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, except his own, of course. 
that at the name of Emmanuel every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Emmanuel is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now is he to be worshipped? Yes, he is. Every knee is to bow to Christ, even as to the Father. He is the firstborn Son, the heir of all things, our Savior. So we are to worship Him, to bow before Him, and we do, hopefully daily, maybe several times a day. We bow to Christ, go through Him to the Father the ultimate authority. So when we bow to pray, we bow before the Father and the Son. Who do we address the prayer to then becomes the question. You're bowing before both. And you go to the Father through the Son. That is the order of things and that is what God has set up as the way to do it. It is only through the Son that we were allowed access to the Father. That was true the day the veil of the temple was rent in twain, and it's true to this day. You still have no access to the Father except through Christ. That's why every prayer is prayed to the Father, and you close the prayer in the name of Christ, the Lord, Emmanuel, and I give glory and honor and praise to the Father at the beginning. Hallow His name, as Christ said, at the beginning of a prayer. But I always try to give Christ Himself glory and honor in the, saluta- or the end of the prayer. Because it is through Him and His authority that we can even approach the Father. And our prayer goes through Him to the Father. So we do not deny Him. We do not set Him aside. We honor and praise and glorify Him and bow to Him because it is through Him that we can go to the Father. And that every tongue should confess that Emmanuel is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think that should be abundantly clear what he is how he is saying that. Let's go to Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So he says it the same way. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Emmanuel. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Emmanuel, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love of which you have to all the saints. But we have faith in Christ. We have in faith what he, faith in what He did and what He is doing and working through us and with us to bring us to the Father. That's His ultimate goal, is to present His bride to His Father and His Father to accept her and to marry them together to be His intimate family forevermore. That's what this is all about. They, too, had everything. They created angels. 
and the elders and all those beings which are around the throne of God. But there were none equal to them. So they decided to share it and to offer Godship to those made in the image of God, mankind. That is the mystery of God. They simply wanted to share and cause benefit and blessing in their lives by sharing what they had. I read an article, interestingly, on that was posted by Google News, which showed the ten happiest jobs in America, or no, the ten happiest jobs, period. And I was kind of curious as to what those would be, because they had posted previous to that, as they said later, the unhappiest jobs. Oh, well, that might be interesting, so... I opened it up, and lo and behold, the clergy was the happiest job on earth. I have mixed feelings about that uh, at times. But right under that came service to others and interaction with human beings. Teachers were mentioned several times in the happiest jobs. And at the top of the list of teachers, as I recall, were those who worked with handicapped children or special needs. Very interesting. All the first nine had to do with interaction with people and in some way helping people. The tenth was heavy equipment operators because boys like to play with front-end loaders and caterpillars and heavy things. But that was number ten and the first nine were all interaction with people. And then I saw the list of the ten unhappiest jobs. And most of them were high-tech stuff having to do with things and intricacies that had very little to do with people or interaction with people. God has designed us to work together as people. He does not intend us to be loners. He does not intend us to be solitary Christians. He intends us to be a body of people working together in the unity of the Spirit to produce one body that all fits together perfectly with no strange pieces. As I've said many times, no man is an island. And you cannot be a single and solitary Christian and fulfill the Bible. Because we are supposed to be a body fitly joined together. And you can't be fitly joined in if you're off on your own, separate from. Many think they can. And they think they can be apart from the congregation. They can be part, apart from a ministry. They think they can do it on their own. And all of Scripture and all of history... And all of the design and creation of mankind on this earth argue absolutely against that. If you think you can go it alone, you've got another thing coming and you're denying Scripture over and over and over again. Now, where was I here in Colossians? Let's go down to verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, 
which has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He wants us to inherit all things. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's far and away above us. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. He's given it all into the hands of the Son. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Let's go to chapter 2 and verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted in being knit together in love. That echoes what I just said about us being part of the body. Knit together in love. And to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words that are anything different than this. That's why he said in Ephesians 5 that the offices of the ministry were put there for the reasons given at that point. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the eternal Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Again, it shows, give thanks to the Father by or through Christ. So when you talk to one, you are talking to the other. But you address the Father, and you do it in the name of the Son. First uh, Thessalonians 2. How much time do I have? Maybe, let's see how far I can get here. First Thessalonians 2, verse 11. As you know... How we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his children. So he uses the same analogy there of the family to try to get across who we are. That you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. And we thank God for this, he says. And he's speak, speaking here of the father. He goes on to talk about Christ who died. We don't have time to go into all that, but it's the same story we've been hearing. Second uh, Timothy. Well, where did I want to go? Second uh, Thessalonians. Let's go there real quickly. Chapter two, verse sixteen. And now our Lord Emmanuel Himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us, as Christ said, 
and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So we're here to be established in word and in works, even though the Protestant worlds tell you that works are not needed. 1 Timothy 1.2 Unto Timothy, my son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God and from Emmanuel. Same thing, 2 Timothy 1.2. I'll go quickly through these. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ. So they are always mentioned here in tandem. Hebrews 1, verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And he goes through the whole book of Hebrews, which I'll not do today, lest we be here for hours. He uses this whole book to show the, the eminence of Christ and how we are to approach the Father boldly through Christ and how He is our high priest and He is our mediator. And it goes on and on. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, is to explain to the Jews <coughs> that they who thought they were worshiping the Father had access only to the Son, even in the Old Testament. He was the Melchizedek priesthood of the Old Testament. And that even though they didn't know it, He was the one that they looked to when they thought they were really looking to the Father. And now as high priest, mediator, and so on, you have to accept Christ or you have nothing and you can't get to the Father without the Son. That's what this whole book is about. Chapter 12, verse 7. If you endure chastening... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? If not sons, bastards. And Christ learned by the things he suffered. And he was chastened. Why? Because of our sins. He had to be corrected because of yours and my sins. Corrected in the most difficult form, and that was death. Not for his own, but he was chastened for us. Death being the wages of sin. Uh, I wanted one more. Well, let's move on to uh, James 1. James has a couple of really interesting comments, the way he puts things. James, he had the same take that Paul did, you'll notice. James, a servant of God and of the eternal Emmanuel, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, uses the same format, the Father first, then the Son. Uh, verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And He begat us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Now, clearly, He shows that it has to be through Christ. But He says in verse 22, Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like glass, and he looks and he moves on. And he doesn't see. 
So when God says, where is my honor in Malachi 1? He's not saying word of mouth. In vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, giving lip service, not doing the things that he says. So we are to honor him in word, but in deed as well. Because unless we do it in deed, the words mean nothing. And ultimately, we're hypocrites if we do it in word and not in deed. So you can sit here and you can hear these words, and we can give God honor in our minds and in our words. But unless we do the things that we're talking about and reading here, we're worse than someone who doesn't even know. Chapter 3, verse 9 of James talking of the tongue, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. So he says, you don't curse the Father. That is the ultimate. And how is it then that we curse men who are made in the image of God, made like Him? We think nothing of saying something negative or bad about each other. Do we? It falls off our lips so easily. Oh, we have a horror of demeaning or bespeaking negative of the Father or of the Son. But of human beings, hey, they're just human. They're just our brothers. It doesn't matter. I can say anything negative. I want to. That's not what James tells us here. We won't go into all that. We've been there before. First Peter 1. Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has got for begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The Father was still alive and He resurrected the Son. So, which is greater, he who resurrected or he who was resurrected? Always he who resurrected is the greater. Um, let's go on down to First John. There's several more here that I could have... There's a lot here that we're skipping over. I just picked some out. First uh, John 1, 2 through 3. Did John get the same take that Paul and James and Peter did? For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Manifested through whom? Through Christ. That which, that which we have seen and heard declare we to you. John was very close to Christ. That you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our real fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Emmanuel the Christ. So that's where our real fellowship is. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So he's saying also this is a family deal. And you can't be an independent Christian. You have to find those who are seeking God and work together with and fellowship with them. 
That's why it is so important to have fellowship. To be disfellowshipped from the body of Christ is a very dire circumstance. And yet we have so many in the church today, because of confusion and frustration and misunderstanding, disfellowship themselves from those others in the body and go out and do their own thing. And they do not have that authority. And they cannot take the ministry upon themselves, but many do and aspire to be teachers and they are not authorized of God to do so. And when you set yourself up to teach and to preach, you are setting yourself in great jeopardy. Great jeopardy. That's another subject for another time. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Emmanuel the Righteous. So he is our advocate, as well as our mediator, and our high priest, and on and on, the offices that put him between us and the Father, and that allow us access to the Father through him. Um, 2, verse 13. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And to young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the Father, but is of the world. So he points us to the Father, even as Christ pointed John to the Father. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 14. We have sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And he's the Son of God in the next verse. 2 John 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, from the Lord Emmanuel, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. This is repeated over and over and over. Let's go now. Well, let's one more. Jude, Jude, the servant of Emmanuel and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ and called. So it's through the Father, or by the Father, through the Son. That's the message they all got. Now let's go to the book of Revelation. I want to finish this up and finish this series up here. Revelation 1 and verse 6. And has made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. And Christ has made us kings and priests to God. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So this is the revelation of Christ to John about the Father and about the relationship that we all have. Go to chapter 2, verse 27. Speaking of Christ, 
To him will I give power over the nations. Who gives that? The Father. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. So the power comes to Christ through the Father. And even in the book of Revelation, when this thing is all wrapping up in the story that God gives us in His Word about God and man, uh, we have the same things that Christ was saying when He was here on the earth speaking to His disciples. The world just simply has it wrong, brethren. They look only to their Jesus And it is a false Christ. It is a false Jesus who does not think like Christ did, does not talk like Christ did. If you accept the Protestant approach, you are accepting Satan's doctrine. It is upside down and wrong and has wrong emphasis. That's just the way it is. The correct emphasis is shown in God's Word that His Son inspired through these apostles. Chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So Christ is saying He is going to present your name and mine if... He so chooses us to present to the Father for affirmation, for acceptance, as part of His bride. That's the format. Should we give honor to the Father? Christ does. And our name will not be considered for eternal life, except and unless Christ takes it to the Father. He's the head of the church. He's working together to make it work right. He's the chief cornerstone of it. Highly important. And it is He who will present your name and mine to the Father, we hope. Chapter 3, verse 21. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. I sit with the Father And I'm going to offer you to sit with me. So they will all sit together, really, don't they? That makes us equal with God and the family of God. Never preeminent, because the Father and the Son will always have that. But part of the family. Um, Chapter 3. No, I already, I already read that one. Um, I had a couple more I wanted to go to. I did not write them down here. Let's go to chapter 5 and verse 9. Speaking of the time of the resurrection here, they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations, and has made us to our God, to our Father in heaven, speaking of Christ here, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. 
Verse 12. Here are the 24 elders, the beast before the throne. Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. So, honor, glory, praise, worship, everything goes to the Father and the Son who sits with him. He has given Christ the authority to pass along the blessings. Go to chapter 11, verse 18. And the nations were angry, and your wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that they should give reward to the, your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testimony, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Let's go to Revelation 21 now. Talks about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down and how the bride, the 144,000, is that new Jerusalem. But I want to go to verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So the relationship we've been seeing all the way through, the honor, the glory, the play, praise, everything goes to the Father and to the Lamb, the Son. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God, the Father, did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor to it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations to it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life that he presents to the Father. The Father and the Son are coming to rule this earth with a rod of iron and to welcome us as the bride, the city, the heavenly Jerusalem to rule with them. And there will be no evil, no lying, no cheating, no death, no destruction among us. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow because we have been given opportunity ahead of time to be called, hopefully to be chosen as the bride of the Lamb and to rule with Him on this earth under the Father. We have been called, brethren, to give the Father and the Son all glory, all honor, all praise, all worship. We, above all people, on the face of this earth are targeted 
in Malachi 1, 2, and 3. The ministry first, and all of the rest of us combined when he says, Where is my honor? We are to obey his every word, to think as Christ thought, to walk as he walked, not to think our own thoughts, to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ, to give honor and glory and praise not in word only, but in deed, to honor God by everything we say and everything we do while we walk the face of this earth. That is what we have been called for. It is what we will be chosen for if we fulfill it. To you and me is now given the instruction to give honor to God the Father and now to His Son. And in His kingdom, all peoples of the earth will then be commanded to bring that honor and glory to them and to us who have by then been included and will be worthy of honor and glory and worship with the Lamb as His bride. We will be honored. We will be glorified. We will be immortalized. We will be God. I have spent a long time on this series. Maybe not exciting, maybe not new truth, but the most paramount, important subject there possibly could be in the church today. Give honor, glory, and praise to the Father, now to His Son, and someday the world will give it to the Father, the Son, and to us. Now, how important is that? Give honor to your Father in heaven and to the Lamb. 